This is episode number six of the third power. So six times six is 36. 36 times six is some arbitrarily large number. I don't know. I think it's like 216 or something. Uh, that would be sweet if that was right. That sounds right. 180 plus 36. That's right. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure someone's got, you know, someone masterful who doesn't need a calculator has already figured it out and is shaking his head discouragingly at us. <laughs> You idiots, it's number whatever. Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, this episode is about uh, the basic meta clock. Basically, we're going to be describing a cube metagame. Now, most people, when they think of cube, it's just like, oh, sweet, and draft whatever. But we're going to be talking about stuff like, you know, what archetypes are in cube, how to support them, identify them, and think of a cube. You know, I always talk about, like, looking at a cube holistically, and this episode is going to kind of go with that theme, kind of looking at a cube as a format of its own and just how to develop that format, you know, making sure, like, one archetype isn't better than another or one format isn't ridiculously overpowered, things like that. Right. We're going to go ahead and we're going to take a look at the cube from a holistic standpoint of all the different theaters of decks and, and what exists in typical metagames, and then we're going to apply it to the cube and go from, you know, big ideas like aggro to smaller ideas like... Boros to even smaller ideas like Jackalpup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, to start this episode off, we're going to do a uh, crack-a-pack like they do on Limited Resources. We got the blessing from Ryan and Marshall to do the crack-a-pack. So and hopefully did, you like, guys listen to the bonus material. We already did a couple of these. Yeah, we did <laughs> We did that. And uh, I'm going to start this one off with uh, Soltari Champion. Oh, uh, Before we start, make sure oh, this sorry. Is, we're using your cube, right? Oh, yeah, my bad. We're, so uh, why don't you talk about your cube real quick? Uh, my cube is 450 cards. I think about uh, – I have my list on my blog, but it's like 61 cards in each color, and I have, like, a colorless section for, like, artifacts and, like, you know, non-color aligned lands like Port and City of Brass and whatever and, like, a guild system for the multicolor. So stuff like Curdave and Raging Ravine and Sarkinval all live under the Gruel – Art green, red green umbrella, and you know it's kind of try to make sure that you know aggro is well supported, you know stuff like that. Try to keep all the avenues pretty relevant. Make sure nothing is just like you know terrible or anything like that. And you are powered, correct? Yeah, we're going. Uh, now you're playing with power. You got the power glove right there. Oh my god! <laughs> as long as you don't bust out Robbie the robot or whatever that thing was for Nintendo that used to have to spin the tops. Oh, I yeah. hated that thing. I. That was my first Nintendo. It came with the light gun and oh, the system wow. and the robot thing. And we tried to get that robot thing to work, and it was just much more fun to, like, dance on its grave instead. Yeah, that thing was awful. Like, uh, if you guys have seen the uh, the show Awesome Video Games on YouTube, definitely I, recommend checking that out. There's something on, on Rob on one of those, but I'll probably link it. Yeah. All right, yeah. So, all right, so cool. So we have pick one. So card one is Soltari Champion. Soltari that's Champion. The, that's the one that when it attacks your other guys, can you describe that one? It's kind of a little more obscure one for some Yeah. Uh, two and a white for a 2-2 two, two, uh, creature, soldier, shadow. And when it attacks all other creatures, you can control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So it's like okay. a precursor to a battle cry battle kind cry. of thing. Cool. Yeah. Uh, next one up is Trainer's Edict. Trainer's Edict. Sweet. The, uh, you know, the Diabolic Edict Sorcery with the flashback. flashback. Yeah, like a billion mana, in other words, seven mana. Uh, memory Lapse, good old tempo counter spell going on. Stormbind, and that, you know, that's going to go in something. Uh, 
Breeding Pool. Got some f- nice fixing. Chameleon Colossus. If you like Chameleon Colossus. <laughs> got Smokestack. Smokestack. Woo. Yeah. Smokestack. Uh, Meyer Boa. Meh. Uh, hey. Fetid Heath. Fetid Heath. The, uh, the white black, uh, filter land. Filter land. Yep. Uh, Animate Dead. Will Bender. A Johnny Vengeance. Woo! Yeah. Uh, Bloodstained Mire. Uh, Coral Helm Commander. Not, a Coral Helm EDH. And Hellspark Elemental. And that, there's your pack. Alright. So we, looks like we have a, a, a pretty good spreading about a, of colors, uh, represented here. Yeah, it's pretty surprising. Yeah. Not like our, our last one that just had like a, just super sick black cards and. Yeah, Esper.pack. A couple of the other ones, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and this pack's nice. We got a few lands in there too. Mm-hmm. We now, have uh, Stainmeyer, which is pretty sweet. Somebody on one of the comments talked about like how much amount of fixing we expect to come back and, you know, we'll try to address that stuff too. But I, sure. I don't know. I don't run a lot. I don't run a ton of fixing. I try to make sure that there's, you know, enough for the decks, but not like, uh, so much that people can just splash whatever, you know, uh, willy-nilly kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have a little bit of fixing here. It's like, you know, fetch land and a filter land, but I don't think any of those are really first picks. Like, I think yeah, the, the Bloodstained Mire, I mean, I, I like fetch lands a lot. I, I think they open you up to a lot of different avenues, but I think yeah. there are cards more powerful in this pack. Yeah. One in particular more than uh, more than just, just grabbing a, uh, a fetch land. Yeah. Oh, there's also a breeding pool, but I think we can take all the lands and cut them out. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. Like I do, like I said, I, I do like Bloodstained Mire, but I, I think we can we can shelve it because I do think there are cards better than that in this pack. Um, yeah. Also, too, uh, I, I feel like we can we can take some of the some of the maybe less impressive creatures out as well. Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not pack one pick one one picking Mire Boa. I was I just looking think. at that card. Yeah, I was like, I love Mire Boa, but not per, not not P one P one. Yeah, like probably not taking that one. Um, I love a Willbender, and you know you gain some value by having nobody else see it. But I also feel like maybe that's not the kind of card we want to be pack one pick wanting as far as creatures go. Precisely. Yeah, that's a card I can definitely see going. Uh, and I can see the same with Coral Helm Commander. I think it's an underrated card. Like a lot of people think, and myself at first too. Like, thought of it primarily as a Merfolk Lord, and, like, why the hell are you playing a Merfolk Lord in your cube? But it's more because it's, you know, a cheap flyer kind of thing, but I, I would not P1P1 that, so I think that's a safe cut. Yeah, I'm down with that, too. I feel the same way about Hark's, uh, Hellspark Elemental. Yeah, um, I was just looking at that. You had to get out of my brain. Oh, man. I just, you know, the card's nice and all, but I, I, I feel like you want to definitely be doing powerful things with your first pick overall in a draft. I feel like you want to pick cards that you can build around or cards that can just fit in multiple different kind of archetypes. Yeah. And Hellspark Elemental, it's for one deck. It's for a red, aggressive deck. And you know what? Unless I'm feeling – I'm not really feeling uh, red and aggressive today. So I, I, I think I would like to cut Elemental from from the pick. Yeah, I generally like my first picks to be, like, about as committal as, like, Tiger Woods. So <laughs> I think, yeah, I could definitely see, you know, Hellspark is, is a really good card, but it's an arrow. So I could see that getting cut. I can, in that vein, I could see cutting Soltari Champion as well. Great card, but I don't think it ha- there's more, like, universally playable cards in here. 
Yeah, I'm I'm down. Champion, okay. get out. You're Sorry, out. champion. You're gonna have to go. Well, uh, now, now we're down to some cards that are interesting. Um, we definitely have a couple of build around cards. Um, I feel like Smokestack, uh, Animate Dead, and uh, a Johnny Vengeance are all three very build aroundable. To kind of make my own word there, yeah. cards. Um, I, I I don't like taking multicolored cards. Pack one, pick one. A Johnny Vengeance is one of them, but for me, Stormbind is not. I yeah, can do I without a, a an expensive enchantment that is in two colors for the first pick here. I mean, I I think Stormbind, and we'll get into you know like the Stormbind definitely fits in like the aggro decks, but yeah, again, it's I like to keep my options open. And, you know, the fact that it's double-colored and goes in essentially one archetype. Like, I'm not playing this in mid-range. That would be terrible. So I think that's a safe cut for sure. All right, so Stormbind's you. All right, so we're left with Chainer Zedic, Memory Lapse, Chameleon Colossus, Smokestack, Animate Dead, and a Johnny Vengeance. Now, the guy, I forget his name because I'm dumb like that, but he also talked about, like, what, you know, if you pick something, what would you want to wheel back? And I don't know, that might be a factor with this. Like, I'm seeing two black cards, you know, like Animate Dead and Chainers, and I don't know, maybe that'll be a factor? Maybe? Well, know. you know, I, I think that maybe matters a little bit more in a in a four-man draft or a six-man draft. Yeah, uh, that's true. But in eight-mans, you know, it's... I, while I do like to think about, like, what might loop, once again, I, I kind of feel like uh, cube drafting is a little bit different than booster drafting. Um, in so much as, you know, the, the card quality really doesn't decrease to the same extent as it does in a regular booster draft. Um, and we could very well get complete, you know, we could draft, let's say, a black card here and then wind up not playing black at all, but our deck is still going to, could still be very good. Yeah. Or we could wind up, you know, being the only blue drafter at the table. And if we decide to take a blue card and all the blue cards come back. So it's, it's a little tougher to tell. Um, exactly what's going to loop, I feel like. Because also, pack one, uh, pick one, you're so wide open. I feel like the trying to figure out what's going to table um, is something that's reserved for packs two and three once you already have like an idea of what you want your deck to be, and then you have to prioritize what you need for your deck. Right now, I think we're just taking cards. Pack one, pick one. I feel like we just want to take cards to get a concept going. We want power. We want, you know, build-around cards, game-breaking cards, very powerful effects. And to be honest, I don't I don't really care too much what comes back in, in pack one, uh, pick nine, or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's true. Like, but I, I feel have, like pack uh, two is something that I, I definitely want to consider that. Yeah, uh, like in that Okay, last... I need the land fixing, but I'm pretty sure since I'm the only blue drafter at the table, because of what happened in pack one, I can loop this absorb. Yeah, you know, I've done things like that before, but it's hard to tell that I think in pack one. Yeah, like there's the because uh, I kind of have the the remaining six in two tiers, like animate dead, a Johnny Vengeance smoke sack on top, and uh, Chainer's Edict, Memory Lapse, and Chameleon Colossus on bottom. And I'm thinking maybe cut the bottom three, like Chainer's Memory Lapse and Colossus. Yeah, I'm fine with that because I like I said I think uh, pack one pick one, you want build around cards. And you want very powerful effects. So I'm actually completely fine cutting those three as well. Okay, that works. So the, we have, yeah, we're left with Animate Dead, uh, Vengeant, and Smokestack. Yeah, for me, uh, this is a tough one because I really do like Smokestack type decks. Yeah. 
Um, you you get that in token dot deck or really any aggressive deck, and your opponent is just they're in a world of hurt. Right. Let me ask you, with your cube, how how well supported is the reanimator archetype? You know, I don't really support it like necessarily as like a standalone archetype. Like I don't really like I don't run Entomb, for example. Uh, I I'm considering cutting uh, mannequin, even though I'm probably gonna undo that. But who knows? I but I don't really see reanimator in and of itself, but I typically see it as a sub-theme, especially in, like, green, uh, black-blue, and, uh, black-green. Okay. Little rock. But, uh, you know, it's, yeah, nothing beats rock, but I usually see, you know, that is more of a sub-theme than a standalone kind of, uh, you know, I'm okay. a draft animator kind of thing. I think for me, then, I think Animate Dead can, can go by the wayside. Um, if it's yeah. not a, if it's not a primarily supported archetype, where I'm going to be casting Animate Dead on something very large on turn two, um, then I'm okay with with cutting that one because I, th- I feel like the other two cards are, are bigger build arounds. Yeah, I For agree. Me. I, yeah. I don't know if you agree with that or not. No, All right, so I, have, I do uh, agree. That's, that works. Yeah. So we have Smokestack and a Johnny V. Oh God, I'm just looking at him and it's like <sighs> a fork. What was that thing? It was like Robert Frost said, like a fork in the road. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Yeah, and like, sorry I could not travel both, but B1 yeah. traveler, long I stood. I yeah. looked on as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Wow. About, you know, and that has made all the, difference. Made all the difference. That's that's about that's about as much poetry as you're gonna get out of me, out of my <laughs> out of my brain at one time. That's more than I'll give. I mean, that's, that's some good you stuff. know for me. I I think while you ponder this, I'm going to go ahead and give my opinion. I love a Johnny Vention, but for me, you know what? I think I'm going to take I think I'm going to take Smokestack here. I really like the uh, the kind of uh, controlling nature of Smokestack. I like that the fact that it's colorless. Yeah, that too. And I just really enjoy that kind of deck. You know, the the Braves Token Maker decks. I feel like Smokestack is something that. Uh, you can definitely make as uncomfortable for your opponent as possible. Um, and that's, and you know, on the plus side too, if your opponent doesn't have any permanence left in play, they're not allowed to talk. So, <laughs> I, I, at this point, I'm gonna take Smokestack, mainly because I, I enjoy the archetype, and because it's colorless. And I don't necessarily, cause for myself, if I take a red and white card, I might have a hard time getting away from it if, you know, the blue-green deck is available. I might be like, but I have this Johnny Vengeance. Yeah, exactly. You know, like some... A little more hesitant to get away from those colors. Yeah, and I think people sometimes, and maybe, I think also in draft, just in general, like they open a bomb, like a Consecrate Sphinx, and then they essentially get married to that pick, and they're like, here's a a stupid, good, black-green infect deck, but I took a Consecrated Sphinx first, and they can't let it go. It's like... Yeah, that's those are those examples where you wind up building the best deck in the draft out of the cards you pass to your left because you're trying so hard to stay on target for your first pick, you wind up just building the the nut deck in the hands of your of the person sitting on your left. Exactly. While I could blame people for taking a Johnny Vengeance, and you know what, I guess I wouldn't complain too much if I was uh, if I goof grabbed and grabbed a Johnny Vengeance here. <laughs> yeah. um, I for me, I'm going to take Smokestack. Agreed. I, I definitely can get down with some smokestack, especially since St. Louis is the home of uh, you know, Robert Vroman, who innovated the smokestack, you know, Ubistax deck. 
Right. I gotta go for, well, I gotta go for, does a bunch of uh, altars too, doesn't he? Yeah. The, a bunch of, I think it's like some sharpied, uh, some like painted stuff like that. But yeah, mad props for the home pride. And, you know, I also think that's yeah, a great card. Even like, uh, I think it's also just generally good if you have, like, there's, you know, token generators are a great, great way to do it, you know, just to abuse it. But there's also stuff like Bloodgast. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or, like, a Mana Crypt. Just, like, I'll get rid of this Mana Crypt and, uh, you know, I'll just, you know, get rid of it and then just bash face kind of thing. But, yeah, I, yeah, I can definitely... Yeah, good point about Bloodgast. Yeah, like, blood Bloodgast and, like, you know, especially if you draft a deck with a lot of, you know, or if you draft kind of, like, the aggressive artifact deck with, like, you know, Smokesack, Tangle Wire, a Lodestone Golem, and then just a bunch of early beaters. It's Yeah, so I mean, good. I think you can even just play it as a curve topper in the aggressive deck as well. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're forcing your control or slower opponent to be sacrificing their lands or sacrificing their blockers, that's probably pretty good for you. Because the way you lose with an aggressive deck is by having your opponent be able to catch up and stabilize. And I think this is a card that you can definitely uh, discourage stabilization by your opponent. There's also, uh, and, and also some people might not, uh, there's a way to stack the triggers. Yes. Like, where that, you know, you... And you know I'm, you know I'm not the greatest when it comes to explaining rules or whatever. But you essentially make it so that you order the triggers so that the uh, you know here the sacrifice well, you, trigger happens first, correct. and then the put a counter on it happens second. Yeah. So basically, what you do is you put the the add a counter on the stack first, put the sacrifice counter on the stack second, since you're the controller of both of them. So then you resolve the sacrifice permanence one first, and then you tick up the number of. Is it soot counters? I'm yeah, trying to so, remember. Yeah, so then, you, then you pick up the number of counters. It's kind of like you uh, with Tangle Wire. You yeah. know, you do your, you do it in the reverse order. You take the, you take the counter off first, and then you tap your stuff. And that's also another nice thing with Tangle Wire. And I think both of those kind of cards are similar. Once, once you know how the card works, it works a lot better. But it's like Tangle Wire. It's like your opponent, and both of the cards are ones where your opponent suffers first. So it's like Tangle, yep. play Tangle Wire. Opponent taps four. And then you remove a counter, and you can tap Tangle Wire itself. Right. And then so you you're tap. only tapping two plus one plus zero, so three, while they're tapping the full ten. Four plus three plus two plus one, or uh, yeah, ten. Four, three, two, one. So yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. Okay. Okay. So I think that cool. that was an interesting pack. I think. Yeah, I was I was a little worried that it was a little underpowered at first, um, but I might just been spoiled by our last one. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I definitely think Smokestack is is I, I'm definitely happy with a with a Smokestack in my deck. That's for sure. I agree. Okay. Very uh, cool. Well, let's uh, let's move on and let's talk about our main topic here, um, the whole metagame clock. Now, uh, as an exercise, you guys, um, in talking about this exercise, I was you know thinking about the cube as a format and that whole holistic thing that Usman likes to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is there's a link in. Uh, the show notes that I want you guys to go ahead and, and click now if you haven't already taken a look at it. Um, and what this is is uh, Will uh, Will Reifer and Matt Mason, I believe his name is, Mike Mason, um, came up with this idea of, I don't know if they're the ones who originally came up with the idea, but it's when I, when I do a search online, these are, this is who I find. And the, the concept, if you go ahead and take a click on it, take a look, is that all decks in a format fit somewhere on this metagame clock. Um, and if you look at this clock, you'll see that, um, 
you see the five theaters they're represented. You see beatdown, mid-game or mid-range, uh, combo, control, and the aggro control deck. Um, and you see on the inner hub as well, this is kind of, uh, this is Ravnica time, so this is a slightly old one. Um, but you can kind of see where all the decks of the time fit on the clock. And the way that the clock works is that um, you can see it down there at the bottom. The basically simplified version is that decks will beat the archetype to the left of them, to the theater to the left of them, but lose to the theater on the right of them. And you can see there at the bottom, a deck's greatest enemy is 15 minutes from his clock's position. So, for example, the beatdown deck, if you think of, you know, typical beatdown decks versus a mid-range deck with lots of Bayloths and things and things like that, think of how horrifying that matchup is. Yeah, like Mono Red versus, or like Boros versus Jund. Yeah, well, except for that, the Mono Red deck, if it was the haste version of the Mono Red deck, that version can beat the Jund deck. Um, yeah, that's why... And things like that. But if you think of, like, the Boros deck at the time here... Uh, the Boros deck versus the Fungus Fire deck. That was just like a nightmare because all, you know, all they did was clog up the ground and gain a bunch of life. And it was just like an absolute nightmare trying to get anything done. Uh, same way, like try to think of your three and four drop creatures, three to five drop creatures, trying to beat out someone playing a combo deck that really doesn't give a crap about your ravenous Bayloth. They're like, sweet, kill you. Yeah. You know? Nice, nice Thornling there. Same sort of thing, or, you know, the combo deck that, you know, goes through all the motions, and, all right, and we're going to finally cast a big spell in the end, and the control deck's like, sweet, counter it, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, way to go. Or, you know, the control deck that really wants to, you know, slow the game down, but they can't because a Bitter Blossom is churning out tokens, and the fairy deck is tapping out their lands every turn and beating them even harder. That's kind of the way it works, and I think we can put the entire cube on this clock as well. Um, yeah. And so I, I think what we'd like to do is talk about a little bit about the different archetypes, um, both from a theater standpoint of control, kind of what it does, and and work its way down. Okay. That'll be so good. let's start with I think the most obvious the most obvious one for me is the control decks. Uh, okay. The control decks basically. As I'm sure all of you know, but let's go through it for the sake of uh, thoroughness. You know, the control deck wants to play a slow developing game. They're basically looking to control the game because um, it's a control deck. But yeah. the way they do that is through a few different, a uh, few different avenues. They can do that. I mean, the first thing we all think of of a control deck is play a spell, counter it. 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 You know what I mean? That's definitely one of the uh, controlling mechanisms is you can control what spells resolve and what doesn't. Uh, you can also control the board. Uh, things like uh, sweepers, you know, keeping keeping track of what gets to what permanent stay in play. And also, as far as keeping people's uh, hand size under control, there are control decks that like to keep the number of cards in hand down as well. Um, most of these times, these decks are often blue-based. I'm sure you guys know that. Counter your spell. Sweet. Counter your spell. Awesome. Counter your spell. Okay, this is fun. Counter your spell. <laughs> but but the but there are elements in white, red, and black as well. I feel like green isn't the biggest control color, unless we're talking about like a five color control deck. Um as far as just pure control decks go, green doesn't really 
doesn't really jive with the control thing a whole heck of a lot. I mean, maybe some of those mid-rangey creatures do, like the Baloths, but I really feel like the, the best control decks usually don't have a whole lot of green in them, except for maybe a regrowth to get your, you know, cryptic command back. Yeah, like, uh, I'm gonna go gratuitously plug again the, uh, cube SWAT analysis, analyses, whatever, that are on a kawaiitspeculation.com, and they kind of look at each color, and kind of look at what they do, kind of like their strengths and weaknesses. And the reason why I bring this up is in blue, you know, it's very good at controlling the game. It has all the counter spells, except for, like, Mana Tithe and uh, Vines of Vastwood, you know, stuff like that. But it has, like, great ways to counter spells. And But it's ways of dealing with creatures while you do have stuff like uh, counter magic or control magic, a treachery, a sower. They're pretty slow, and the other colors, like white, red, and black, can help make up that weakness. Like, red has, you know, bolt, and you know, pyroclasm, and white has stuff like path, and, you know, uh, temporal isolation, and black, you know, it's like terror, go for the throat. Discard spells. Yeah, discard, yeah, uh, mind twist you, you know, stuff like that. And it definitely helps, you know, those colors help make up that weakness in blue. Absolutely. You know, examples... Examples of, you know, historical control decks. Um, if you think about like the five color control decks of like Lorwyn, Time Constructed, uh, Old Timey, uh, Counter Post decks, um, example, Counter Phoenix decks. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. If you remember that, if you remember those, uh, examples in, in the cube are obviously, you know, like you have your blue white control, your blue black control. <coughs> Excuse me. You've definitely seen, like, the red-white land destruction type decks, a lot of times paired with tokens. So, you know, using things like Starstorm and and things like that to keep the way clear while, or, you know, stifling your land drops while improving their own position. Um, and in order to, to support these kind of uh, decks, you need certain kinds of cards. Obviously, the first one is you need counter spells. Um, if you want your blue decks to have that kind of play, you need to include a fair amount of counterspells. Um, you can't just put in uh, counterspell, mana leak, force of will, we're done. <laughs> yeah. You need to really look and, and see, you know, to make sure you have enough of them so that a deck can have, you know, th- three to four or more of them if you're going that way. You need to have sweepers, guys. And this includes in, in pretty much all colors. So in white, you have things like wrath. Cataclysm, Day of Judgment. Um, in red, you have things like Starstorm. Um, Wildfire is even, can, you can consider a sweeper. Um, there are some of the creatures like a Crater Hellion and things like that. Uh, black, you have Damnation. Um, black Sun Zenith. Yeah, Black Sun Zenith. And, and you know one. And in blue, you have sweepers too. Upheaval. Yeah. Up, <laughs> you know? I wouldn't, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of uh, evacuation, but upheaval is a great sweeper as well. Um, you know, r- things like removal spells, which are, you know, your colors are going to have already. Um, and then the other thing you guys need to, to remember too is the way the control deck wins the game. You need finishers in there too. Um, and I think each, each color has a certain amount of, of high mana finishers, but you can't cram too many of them in there. Um, we all know there are plenty of blue finishers right now. And there's a big debate as far as whether or not you want to include Consecrated Sphinx as one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, I think we even mentioned that on a recent cast, talking about uh, Beard of Besieged, didn't we? Yeah, on the Besieged review, we talked about that. And uh, it's 
you know, like the analogy I'll bring up again was with the whole Lord of the Rings thing, the you know, like the Return of the King, where they had like all the endings kind of, right. and they were they were all great, and that's you know easily my favorite movie in that trilogy. But you do, and you have to consider, like for example, if you put in, I'm going to use my own cube as an example, like 61 cards in blue, and let's say you have 10 finishers in blue, you put in like I'm not going to list them all because it's going to take forever for me to remember them. But, yeah, let's say you put ten finishers in there. How many are going to be used in your decks? Like, in, in an average cube draft, even if it's an eight-man, you're probably going to run five or six. Or at least, you know, that's how many you're going to be used in total. And each deck is going to use maybe three at the most? Maybe three, four, something like that? Yeah, I, I a lot of times feel really good about having three big finishers. Yeah. Um, a, a recent deck I posted had as finishers, you know, outside of things like bribery, which can be its own finisher, but it was like Sphinx of Jawar Isle, um, Moloku, and uh, like Decree of Justice. Oh, nice. So like even having those, like I'm fine with having just those three cards plus things like Control Magic or whatever that that you can wind up, you know, create your own finisher. Mm-hmm. But I, I really, but just having like those three were good enough for me, um, because you want the rest of your deck to get you to that late game. Um, having a handful of expensive uh, high drops doesn't really do you any good if you're dead. So it's, it's kind of like the uh, the five color con- control decks that only run like a cruel ultimatum or two. Right, like a cruel ultimatum or two, like a broodmate dragon and two angels, you know, two baneslayer angels, maybe, yeah. you know. Because uh, it's nice to have those redundant copies, but they're just going to be that redundant in that, you know, at least in that example and also there. You don't really need the infi finishers. And there's something on, on the latest uh, Cube podcast of In Contention when they talked about sweepers. And it was kind of a similar thing where you don't want to run infi sweepers. You don't want to run every white sweeper in the world. You don't want to run, you know, Phyrexian uh, Reclamation. Uh, rebirth. Yeah, yeah Rebirth. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other kind of substandard ones. Winds of Wrath. Because that's very tempting. Kertar's Wrath. Yeah, Ker- yeah Kertar's Wrath. Because like, it's very tempting to run every single sweeper. Like, if you're thinking in the context of Limited, for example... You're gonna win the slam, just about every wrath, unless it costs like, I can't even think of one that costs like that you wouldn't win the slam. But yeah, even stuff like yeah, re, uh, friction rebirth, final judgment from Kamigawa. I was just about to say that one. That card is terrible in cube, but you know I would win the slam that card in crazy like crazy in uh, Kamigawa. Kills all creatures. Yeah, kills all creatures, and even the RFG thing was kind of relevant because of all the soul shift going on. But yeah, it's just like it's very tempting. To use, yeah, every Wrath available because there are such first picks, and most people, it's a, it's a very powerful effect, but you know, it's having enough to support your control archetypes, and then also not having too much. Where, for example, say you have, exaggerating example, 10 sweepers, your aggro decks aren't going to use them very well, and no. those decks are going to suffer. Right, Whereas exactly. Can, not not only are they only are they limited to certain types of decks, but they're also going to stifle, I think, other decks a little bit, a little bit too much. But I think that'll as we move forward here, you'll you'll see that that kind of will take care of itself because you'll find that uh, other theaters definitely need more commitment from you, and eventually you're just going to run out of room. 
Yeah, so exactly. you'll find that a, a small amount of sweepers. Um, I think I have like five in white, maybe. Um, yeah, I think that's about how pretty much, much the best ones uh, are plenty. I, I've yeah. never had a I've never had a problem. Be like, oh, you know, there's a star aggro decks are running wild. There's just no <laughs> way to control them. You know, that doesn't happen because control a, decks by nature draw the game out longer anyway to get to the point where you're going to draw those sweepers or you're going to draw the finisher that you need. Exactly. And there, one more example before I forget also uh, that Cranny brought up on that In Contention podcast that I think is a really good kind of uh, litmus test for uh, sweepers is if you find people or even yourself passing sweepers, like you're passing, uh, you know, like any sweeper, like I'll pass a sweeper because I'm going to get another one, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Like if that's happening in your control decks, that's that means you there's probably too many. Because you can just see yeah, a sweep, you can just pass, it's like, nah, I'll just get one later. I don't have to worry about it. Because that should not be the case in your game. Right. Exactly right. All right, well, let's keep going. Uh, do you want to talk about the next one here? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's talk about uh, aggro control. And that's the kind of deck that's going to put out a bunch of the early threats. Uh, you know, they're kind of the, the consider a common term, at least back in my day, is uh, fish decks. I kind of put out a bunch of you know, early threat or, you know, early threats and just protect it with, like, cheap counters or disruption. And the best example I can use, you know, they're typically, like, uh, blue-green. You know, and they also can be, like, you know, blue-red if you got, like, the jackal puffs and the early beaters and then protecting with counters. But I'll use an analog from, uh, you know, this, like, uh, Legacy with, you know, Merfolk, you know, just having the, uh, you know, like the... Cheap Merfolk, you know, Curse Catcher, uh, Coral Helm, whatever, and then protecting it with stuff like Force, Days, and you know, bringing them to play with stuff like Vile. And obviously, you're not going to be running all these cards in your cube, but it's a nice little analogy. Fairies, yeah, is Fairies probably, is the 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 perfect aggro control deck. Yeah, and I remember a lot of people when the deck was starting to break out, when Fairies was starting to break out, people were like, "This is a control deck." I'm like, "No, this is Fish. This is totally an aggro control deck," and that's how it plays. You know, just like you know, keep your opponent off tempo, just like V click you, uh, misbind you, kind of things like that. Right. Where yeah, turn two bitter blossom or turn three bitter blossom. Uh, tap all your guys, counter your spell. Tap all your guys, counter your spell. Uh, mana short you, mana short you, you're dead. Yeah, and just, just yeah, just keeping the pressure going, and then countering anything that's relevant. It's like, oh, uh, you want to play that creature that's insignificant? Yeah, that resolves. Or you know, or if they have a wrath or whatever, or some other kind of way to disrupt your plan, the the clock that you're running is so cheap that you can protect it really well with cheap counter spells. And most of the time, the uh, the tempo oriented counter spells, like especially memory lapse, remand, and the you know original OG Venser, not the OG? white blue and yeah, what what you know just like Venser, <laughs> you know just in keeping the clock going. You know, with the cheap counters, cheap uh, disruption. And one of the best cards, I think, for the archetype, and I think it's a great card anyway, uh, Kira, Great Glass Spinner. Wow, that card is nuts in that archetype, because it yeah. essentially gives all your creatures that protection any for free. Like, of course they can uh, disrupt it, but that's fine. Like, it's protection and it's a relevant body, and I'm happy right. with that. And it, right, it fits, it fits both things. It's, it's both a... Uh an attacking creature that's not expensive, as well as a protecting your 
your team while you get to go ahead and, and continue to, to get ahead and, and keep beating for sure. Yeah. Now, one thing to keep in mind, guys, uh, you know, we're talking about each of these theaters in turn, but most decks kind of fall somewhere in between. And if you go back and look at that, uh, that picture of the clock, you know, there are definitely decks that fall in between and we'll, and we'll talk more about which ones fall in between as well. Because, you know, it's very rare to see just a pure control deck. You know, something like Counterpost was a pure control deck. Uh, aggro control, fairies and fish are like perfect examples. But a lot of times decks will fall in between. I just wanted to get that out there before I forgot. Uh, okay. And we'll bring up some more examples of, of those. So I think as we get into some of these other ones, you'll, you'll see that decks definitely, uh, can be two things at once. Yeah, precisely. And I think also, uh, you know, Cranny from In Contention also kind of mentioned kind of pushing blue tempo as kind of an archetype. And I think that's it. That's, you know, I'm trying to do that in my cube. I just haven't had much opportunity to see how it works. But, you know, just like the cheap dudes with like, you know, like Coral Helm Commander, uh, the looters, things like that can be an interesting archetype in and of itself. But even like blue, red can play that role really well. But blue, green is like when I think of like aggro control kind of archetypes, blue, green, you know, Simic is definitely the big one. You're just getting down something like a, you know, like the, uh, was it the Sea Stompy deck? Yeah. Where it would go like Birds, uh, Viper, and then protect it with like, uh, was it Plax Manta and Mystic Snake? Yep. And that's a perfect example. Just get something down early and then just protect it. Or like a Stag or a Troll Aesthetic. It's like, okay, you yep. want to, you can't really kill it except with a Wrath and then, yeah, I can counter that kind of thing. And that's definitely, you know that's probably the best manifestation of uh, of the Simic deck, and in that's something cube, I sure. yeah in cube, and that's something I kind of went on in my SWOT analysis is like yeah you can have for example red white ramp, you know just like the Star Storms, the Crater Hellions and whatnot, and I'm just, I'm not dismissing those decks because they work, but mm-hmm. when you're kind of thinking of your archetypes, you want to just consider what role even when you're building your cube is like what what roles is it playing? You know, it's like, it's the Starstorm is going into the, uh, you know, red-white deck, you know, red-white ramp, but moreover the uh, red-blue kind of counterspell, you know, counter-burn kind of decks, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah, the Angel Fire decks, the red-white and blue decks, you know. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. that. All right, let's keep going. Let's go to aggressive decks. Um, now, this is, we could talk about aggressive decks for uh, a very long time. Yeah, um, what I'd like even... to do here is, yeah, we might do that on a future podcast for sure. Yeah. Um, but for now, let's just kind of go over it real quick and talk about kind of what it does and, and where it sits. Obviously, uh, aggressive decks have one thing in mind, and that's to overwhelm your opponent with quick beaters. Creatures yeah. are always dealt with, so you want to have reach elements as well. Um, red decks obviously always have burn. Um, equipment gives your, uh, gives your guys a little bit of reach as well insofar that your one drops can now compete with four and five drops um, and to generate additional effects. Um, most of the time, as far as colors go, pretty much all the colors except blue beat down pretty well. And I know there's a, a forum member out there. I think it's Kojiro. Uh, yeah. Fred the Samstads from uh, – who is that? Uh, that's Cranny. Oh, okay. Who tried to do like a, a blue aggressive archetype, and it's just – and I think he's having a little bit of a hard time with it. It's it's kind of hard to get the the whole skies thing going when well, you have uh, hard quality as high as as the cube 
Well, I think the thing is that he wasn't so much going for blue aggro, because if you try going with, like, Welkin turns and, like, bad beats, no pun intended, you're going to have bad beats, because that archetype is terrible. Blue is horrible at just straight-up aggro. It has... Its one-drops are terrible. Like, it has hapless researcher and, like, chronologist or something. They're all just bad. But it's more, like, of a tempo kind of archetype. Well, but right. Yeah. You want, I mean, they were back in the day of Mask Flock, the... Uh... The, uh, the blue skies deck was, you know, things like, uh, spike tail hatchling, spike tail drake, um, oh, yeah. shot an airship, uh, lucky gin, uh, indentured gin. They played uh, that? Yep. Uh, what else did it have? Uh, the one that, uh, rising waters, things of that nature that basically, even, even though it was trying to be an aggressive deck, it was still more of an aggro control deck. Uh, because it's, you know, trying to control elements, keeping your lands all tapped down while it continues to beat down. So all the colors definitely have, have a stake in aggressive, I think, except blue. Yeah. Um, I think blue. red has the best reach among the colors, um, as far as having just a, a wide variety of burn spells and being able to use equipment. The, the, the black decks are probably the most disruptive of them. You know, the white decks a lot of times will, its reach kind of comes with being able to pick up equipment's a little easier to come by. It has a lot of uh, horde pumping stuff also, like Accord right. Paladin, uh, Hero Blade, Old Piana, Soltari Champion, the uh, the card that was right. missed in our crack pack. Right, cards <laughs> that turn everybody else pretty good. And green, you know, has most of the pants. You know, the the giant growths or the elephant guides, the rancors things of that nature. So they kind of all have their, their version of reach. Um, and also the, uh, one of those things like a uh, white and like green, like all, each color has kind of different strengths to bring to each kind of part of aggro. Like I think white has the best really early beaters. Green has probably the best kind of mid kind of like the three or four mana, like four mana green is just ridiculous. And like red, you know, red and black there. And this is something I think that should also be brought up is that, you, for, when you're looking at cube, you can't compare uh, apples to oranges, or you can't. Yeah, you can't compare apples to oranges. It has to be apples <laughs> to apples. You can't compare apples to apples. Oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> apples to oranges. That's what which, I meant. Which game do I have again? But yeah, it's like, for example, like uh, Jackal Pup is worse than uh, Savannah Lions, for example, because it has sure. that drawback. Sure. Yeah, but I think there was a, there was an article that uh, Flores did where he said. And this is, was in my uh, SWOT analysis that went up like yesterday, but it was like people in the know consider Jackal Pup to be better than Savannah Lions, even with the drawback because Red is just so good at supporting uh, aggressive archetypes. Now someone might look at you know if they're running Savannah Lions, it's like why would I run a worse version of Savannah Lions? But you have to consider each color. Like that's how Red supports aggro, and it does a good job. It's just it's worse than Isam- it's worse than Isamaru and worse than Savannah Lions. That's fine. Play it anyway. It's still two power for one. Yeah, you know, or like the uh, I, uh, people were a little resistant to Vampire Lacerator when it came out. I'm like, here's the guys didn't notice, guys. It's a two power one drop. Who gives yeah. a crap about losing a life every turn? Like, get that guy in there and beat. Yeah, like maybe White has some of the. I, I feel like White has the best top quality one drops. Things like Student of Warfare. Um, you know, Isamaru. a mother, Isamaru, but, you know, Red has just so many of them. Red yeah. has, you know, so many nice, you know, 
one drops, you know, with two power. And that's basically kind of what, where you want to get to that whole thing. Um, and I as far as yeah, aggro decks go, if, I mean, it, it's not hard to find examples of it, but probably the, if you guys haven't seen this deck yet, you need to go and you need to look up the Koldofa Rebirth decks. Um, like one that, uh, Chris Anderson recently top forward the indie with. If you guys have not seen this deck or you're looking for a cheap alternative for a deck, pick this deck up. It is super fast and it is super cheap. Um, especially in a, in a format of Jaces and Titans. Um, the much maligned Mox Opal, I think, is pretty much the most expensive card in the deck. And the rest of it is, Commons and uncommons, besides you know contested war zone. This deck like is the that. real. This deck is the real deal. And if all aggro decks were this fast in the cube, whew, good lord! But yeah, you know, that requires I, uh, you running uh, redundant things like Kodaltha Rebirth and artifacts, which you know not something I really want to be doing in the cube. But that yeah. is a perfect example of what an aggressive deck is. If you're looking for a description, it's not a well. I have a couple one drops, and I have. A couple two drops, and yeah, you know, I have some creatures in there. You know, I have a couple fives, and I have a six in there too. Like, eh, don't be yeah. wishy-washy about it. You have to, you know, the object is to win. If you're casting, you know, your six drop every game in your aggressive deck, you're probably not winning too many of those. Precisely, and I think that's why uh, there's two reasons why I think aggro is, you know, again, I could go on a huge soapbox, but I'll just go kind of on a medium-sized one. But I think aggro tends to be not very well supported in cubes in general. Like, if I was to find a random cube, I would probably find that aggro isn't supported well, because, like, I think the people that support, like, try to draft it, kind of, like you said, kind of wishy-washy, kind of, like, there was somebody who drafted my cube once who had uh, Savannah Lion, or no, Elite Vanguard and Blade of the Six Pride and on the low drop, and then also was running Eternal Dragon and Acroma. The you know the eight mana creature yeah and it's like that's not gonna work like if he, he was trying to be aggro and then trying to be a little bit of this and whatever and I think playing aggro in cube requires a good amount of discipline like you're gonna have to leave the five you know you're gonna have to leave like your sun titans in the sideboard and that sucks but that's what you gotta do like that's what aggressive decks do and I find that even like uh, when people are creating their cubes because you definitely do need to support your aggressive decks with, like, a lot of, you know, one or two drops. And you can't just go, oh, uh, here's Isamaru and Savannah Lines. There, you know, I, there, there's white aggro. You know, got, I, there it's supported. Like, that's not going to work. Like, you definitely need to use a good amount. But I could go in that soapbox, but I'll just do it later. But essentially, <laughs> the cards that people underestimate, like, I think Stormbind's a great example. Someone might look at it and be like, oh, I got to discard cards to this, and it's at random, so I might discard my Seajang. Uh, but, you know, it's like, who cares? Like, my face isn't going to look pretty when I'm, you know, when you're dead because I'm depleting all my resources and throwing them at your face. But at the end, I've got the win, and you're dead. Right, you do what it takes to win. I don't care that I sacrifice two mountains. Take four. Yeah, it's like, boom, yeah, you're dead. Yeah, but so even you really th- want to make sure that you have just a critical mass of, of one and two drop creatures in your in your cube, reach cards, things like burn, equipment, Pants, you know, whatever that, whatever it is. And I think also too, a thing a lot of people undervalue is mana disruption. Things like we were talking about earlier, like the smokestacks, the tangle wires, uh, winter orb, Rashad imports. Yeah. Um, you know, things of that nature. Armageddon, obviously, we all know about that one, but. Good old Geddon. I, I think all that kind of stuff is, you know, that's what, that's what keeps you ahead. 
Because like, obviously uh, aggressive decks is you're gonna you're gonna start out ahead, but the object is to stay ahead. Yeah, or make make your opponent never reach the late game. Right. With stuff exactly. like braids, it's like okay, you're never gonna cast your titan, you're just dead. But I think a great example of this is a uh, like uh, Theosteel posted something on CubeDrafting.com about you know like the first four picks where you know you crack a pack and take four cards, and it had a bunch it had like Gta and a bunch of other stuff, including Winter Orb, and almost nobody took. It, you know, GTA is obviously when they'll slam first. Sure, sure. But Winter Orb, nobody took because they, you know, like they underestimate the value of uh, locking the game up with the disruption. Like Winter, oh, it should have been, yeah, it should have been GTA Orb, whatever else. Like I think it was like Terror, Terror uh, V Catacombs or something. Right, and well, and I think too, a lot of people have a tendency to misplay with cards like Winter Orb and Hakori, um, and they're not far enough ahead on board or don't have enough action post orb um, to get them there. They wind up just casting the the winter orb when they're slightly ahead and as it turns out their opponent just has two more lands at hand and they just Wrath of God two turns later but now your man is still tied up too. So I think it takes a little bit of experience to know how to use those cards uh, to the to the biggest advantage. Do you want to start talking about the next theater this month? Yeah, let's talk about uh, mid-range, good old, you know, good old rock, nothing Up beats rock, rock. <laughs> so saith Bart Simpson. Man, Simpson so did tell it. us about it. What is, you know, what is the uh, the basic rock deck look like? What what Or the mid-range deck? What what kind of stuff do you want to be doing? It's, uh, I think a lot of people, when they first draft cube, or they're kind of inexperienced, they kind of default to it, which is essentially kind of the quote-unquote good stuff dot deck. You need to play a lot of, like, three to six drops, kind of getting, you know, incremental two-for-ones, like with uh, Yavi My Elder, Wayfinder, Shriek Maw, Bone Shredder, uh, things like Red Cap, things like that. Keep getting incremental two-for-ones, 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 and then just win through kind of a, a incremental card advantage. Right, eventually hope that you have some way to kill your opponent, because I found more... You have to be careful with these rock decks, man. Sometimes you have these giant claws, these giant teeth, and you just don't know how to kill the bunny rabbit. Like, oh wow, I like that. How, how do I kill the bunny rabbit? I just don't know. I've <laughs> I made them discard their entire hand, and I've I've killed all their creatures, but I just can't kill the bunny rabbit. And oh uh, crap, they cast a uh, a big threat, and I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> and they peeled know, it off the top. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how lucky! I'm so uh, lucky. I can't believe they did that. Yeah. <laughs> how? Why is their deck working like they built it? But right. A lot of those cards I have brought up, like a lot of them are black green, and that was intentional. Like when I think of mid range, I definitely think the Rock. You know, the Rock and his minions, black green. Yeah, good old Rock. Yeah, nothing beats it again. <laughs> but even then, like uh, white green, like I think white green is good at mid at uh, aggressive. You know, just kind of get work through redundancy. A lot of early uh, white creatures and green creatures kind of going through critical mass, but even. Like, white-green mid-range, I think, works as well. You know, like, the Planeswalkers are great repeatable effects, which are nice for mid-range and, aggress- and uh, control decks. Like, the best... One of the better examples I can think of for a white-green mid-range card is uh, Elspeth Tyrrell. Like, yep. it does... It does it solves the board, gains you life, uh, can act as a wrath if, if, you know, you can set it up right. But, you know, it goes for that kind of two-for-one, two-for-one, two-for-one kind of thing. Yep, absolutely, and and I think the there's a lot of strength in green and whites uh, three through six drops as well. 
Um, I, you know, obviously we know four drop is just completely so crowded in green. Yeah, white too. Yep. White so, you know, it's getting to that, getting to that four drop. If, if four is, you know, one of your best turns, then you ain't an aggro deck. Yeah. You're, yeah, it's not going right. And even like, when you're considering like color pairs, again, you know, going back to the SWAT thing, uh, one of those things you want to consider when you're building archetypes is like mana costs and things like that. And the reason I bring this up is white green, uh, you know, lots of, you know, like, like we said, a lot of, uh, four drops in this archetype. And I ended up cutting Loxodon Hierarch because of this. You know, great card, amazing card. I'm not denying that one bit. It just, Ooh. I know, I know. It's like, A, that color pair is so stacked. B, yeah, white green is so good. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And then, you know, the fact that there's just so much going on in that slot and there was so little room that I had to cut Hierarch just because it didn't fit that archetype that it was going in very well. But it was, yeah, it was a painful cut. But I think the best modern example that people can think of for mid-range is Jun. Yeah, the Jun deck is all about, you know, three drops, four drops, five drops, uh, incremental two-for-ones or more. I mean, Bloodbraid Elf is the best two-for-one in the history of man. Um, sometimes Bituminous Blast is the best three-for-one yeah. in the history of man. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, you know, everybody knows if you talk about that incremental advantage, you know, when you do the whole, when you get the whole Bituminous Blaster guy into Bloodbraid Elf into Blightning you, Redirect it and hit your planeswalker. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, but those aren't, you know, even though they seem kind of combo-esque, they're, you know, and, and could be leaning that way a little bit because it is sort of combo-y, but that's definitely what a mid-range deck is doing. You know, you're generating two-for-ones. Um, you know, and, and Bloodbraid off a lot of times is a three-for-one. Um, yeah. So you're, you're blocking a creature, you're getting a free spell, um, and sometimes that, that card is getting, you know, one or two cards worth value out of it. You know, maybe you're Maelstrom pulsing two permanents or you're Blightning for two cards. And, you know, it, that's it's probably the best mid-range deck. Just as uh, Fairies is probably the best aggro uh, control deck we've seen, um, Jun very well could be the best mid-range deck ever. Yeah, I was about to say maybe uh, some kind of black-green kind of during Invasion or something that I can't remember. Well, maybe Onslaught, white-green, or... Uh... What was that? The cycling deck? Rift. Oh, yeah, like, uh. Rift, uh, Astral Slide. Yeah, the yeah Astral there we go. Slide decks. But they're kind of controlly. They're more, they're like controlly. Hey, I don't know. I didn't really play a whole lot during that. I just remember the white red control versions of the Astral Slide deck. Yeah. And again, we'll talk about kind of the hybrid kind of things that that don't fit quite one. They kind of sit in the middle kind yep. of, kind of thing. But like, mid range and cube, definitely black green rock. For sure, but also like the red, red green ramp, the red base ramp decks because they have stuff like wildfire, uh, burning of Shinye, stuff like that. And you also have stuff that supports it, like you know the Eternal Witness, uh, Genesis, probably the archetype, the right, rockiest you know? rock card ever. Yeah, like forget uh, what was that? The Phyrexian Plague Lord. That's the rock right there. Yeah, he is. Yeah, <laughs> and he got he got e. cut from my cube not too long ago. Yeah, I cut him. Yeah, I was, I was like, see, you're out of here. You're gone. But yeah, you got like, yeah, deed, pernicious deed, X for one, for a thousand, you know, and then like, Bayloth's, uh, Oracle of Moldaya. Like, we were talking about this before the show. I was asking him because I was looking at Anthony's list. I'm like, how's, uh, how's the Oracle the one working for you? And, and he was like, it's really good mid-range. I mean, you know, you, you've been always playing with it. You go riff with that. Yeah, I mean, 
the the card is uh you know if, if we think about like best and worst case scenarios but then what the average one is um you know if they kill it at their first opportunity you're still ramping one land likely um if it happens to be a land off the top of your deck even better but i got to tell you there's not too many times where i've been able to untap um with an oracle and wound up losing that game um being able to get two extra land drops basically breaking some rules of magic uh, getting extra land land drops for a couple of turns. I mean, multiple games where you can go from uh, four mana on turn three into seven mana on turn four into however much after that, potentially as much as nine mana for your for you know your big finishing cards, things like your root awakenings, your tooth and nail. I've I've been very very happy with Oracle. Yeah, you know it's a two two for four, but you know what? There's a lot of creatures that are two two for four that are that are well worth it. You know with what they're doing. We talked a lot about Hakori last time being one of those. And uh Oracle's Oracle's a great one. I it's one of those cards I love having in my in, in my green decks. Can't ever complain about it, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely gonna try it. I'm probably gonna replace Green Sun Zenith. You know, I've like I said, I've it's been you know, it's been a short time that I've been running Green Sun Zenith, but I'm afraid that's gonna have to end. Well, you know, you put it on the bench, so it might get back in there, you know, who knows? But I think yeah. you'll be pretty happy with uh with Oracle. If anyone's had a chance, ever had a chance to play with the card Future Sight, obviously Future Sight's a little bit better. What's really fun is when you get both of them in play at the same time. Oh. You want to talk about best case? You want to talk about oh. best case scenarios? Oof. But uh, oh, my I know some people don't like Future Sight for being quote unquote slow, but I got to tell you that's a, that's yeah. I've seen lots of discussion on boards of people saying, "Oh, I cut Future Sight for being too slow," and you know what? Uh, yeah, maybe it's five mana. Maybe it has three blue in the cost. But I got to tell you, you once untap. again, I can count on the number of times on one hand that I've untapped with Future Sight in play and wound up losing that game. It's just such a beating. Like you untap with it's like, oh, play land, play spell. Like it sucks when you flip over a counter. Yeah, I'll give it that. Oh, Even well, then, it's yeah. still fine. Yeah. Is your it's opponent like a... going to cast something? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like huh? Do I really want to cast this now? And, and I think cards that can affect your opponent's line of play and especially can stake out your opponents, I think, have some additional value as well. Yeah, especially because if you can just... I, some people are, have the fear, man. They don't they don't want their Jackal Pup to get countered or whatever it is, man. They just... I mean, I'm joking about Jackal Pup, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> you're like, well, I'm going to try to play around that counter somehow. It's like, right, but in the meantime, next draw phase, it's going in my hand in addition to whatever else I have, and I'm going to be revealing more cards, so good luck catching up now. Yeah, and I think there's another, you know, I was talking about this before, kind of another podcast episode we might do is kind of like uh, playing cards. There may be times you may be playing a card incorrectly, and it was something like I talked to somebody on Twitter about uh, Relic Warder versus, uh, what was that, Ronim Unicorn and whatever, and we had a conversation about it. And I don't know, we're already running late. I'm not going to go on another soapbox. I'm just, I'm just going to go and shut up now. But before I do shut up, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, this kind of in the middle between mid-range and combo, kind of like Tooth and Nail is a big example. And even when it was in standard, when Tooth and Nail was the non-affinity deck, you know, essentially it was a mid-range, it was a combo deck. It was, the combo was Tooth and Nail and having, uh, whatever, Mephidros Vampire and Triskelion or Kikijiki and, what was it, uh, Darksteel Colossus or something, whatever combos. We yeah, Kiki Jiki Sundering Titan, Kiki oh, yeah. Jiki Sky Hussar. Oh yeah, Sky Hussar, yeah. Jeez, that's a win. But yeah, just, that was the combo. And then, yeah, even Wildfire, like, 
Wildfire and Dragons, or Wildfire and Titans. And Titans, by the way, are just nuts in mid-range decks, especially like White and Black Titan for sure. Oh just, god, uh, White yeah. Titan for sure, because you just get to once again you're working that incremental card advantage. Here's a two for one, and then you know I'm attacking again, and maybe you kill him, but I'm getting something else back, so we're getting a two for one, and we're getting a two for one, the same kind of thing. Yeah, like my you killed my Yavi, my elder. Oh, okay, <laughs> welcome back. Right, Good and game. then I'm gonna sacrifice Yavi, my elder, and get another three for one or two for you know another two card advantage. Exactly. You killed That's my treetop. Stuff Hell, yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, the last archetype uh, combo? Sure. Okay. Um, now, combo decks, as we all know, um, we've seen a lot of them over the years. Uh, we've seen things, you know, most recently. Uh, we consider something like Pyromancer's Ascension a combo deck. Uh, we've seen Storm combo decks. You know, if you guys keep track of Legacy at all, um, you've seen the uh, Ad Nauseam Tendrils decks or the, uh, like, the Show and Tell decks, the Reanimator decks. Um, something that all these decks have in common, that basically they, they circumvent, uh, they, they try to stay away from the late game. Basically what they're doing is they're they're cheating things into play early, Basically, they're making degenerate plays like infinite mana and killing you. They're basically putting together one big degenerate turn doing something that they shouldn't, you know, that normal magicians don't do on a regular basis. Um, this can be all kinds of all kinds of colors. It can involve everything. Um, you know, even something as simple as uh, Marari's Wake plus Palancron. No. Yeah. Too I mean, there. Right, exactly. Infinite mana. You know what I mean? There's there's a bunch of different combos you can put together across the the across all the colors. Um, in cube, most of the times the ones we see are things like uh, Reanimator. Most of the time it's blue black because um, you know that's you know basically we're turn two dark ritual uh, Unus Prowler discard my Sundering Titan reanimate Sundering Titan kill your lands. Good luck dealing with a seven ten. Yeah. Uh, Decks like uh, the re- uh, Recurring Survival, uh, you know, the Rexer decks, the Recurring Nightmare Survival decks, um, even just Recurring Nightmare by itself. Um, the Blue Artifact deck, um, the Infinite Mana, you know, type decks, things with Metal Worker, things with uh, Talarian Academy. Uh, even even decks like uh, Life from the Loam, Crucible of Worlds, Stripmine. There's, there's lots of little combos built into the cube that I think are really, really interesting, but none of them stick out like a Storm deck, for example. I, I would think, I, I know people have tried, but it just seems like it'd be way too much work to put together a Storm deck in cube because you have to play a lot of cards that, frankly, aren't that great on their own unless you're casting them one after another. Yeah, I was about to, I was about to say they're just terrible on their own. Like, a lot of the cogs, like the, uh, whatever, the chromatic spheres, the eggs... The stuff like that, where you're just essentially playing them to ramp up to the big spell. And the problem is that, yeah, A, they don't do much on their own, but also the fact that they're taking up spots in your cube. Like, for example, they're, like, if you're running a commons cube, for example, and you're trying to make Storm work there with, like, Grape Shot or Empty the Warrens or whatever, and you're running a bunch of cogs, like, you know, Spell Bombs, uh, I'm trying to think of other, like, Spell Bombs, Chromatic Sphere, Chromatic Star, whatever... And then you have Shield to just, Sphere, Ornithopter. Yeah, you just have to run a bunch of junk, and you don't want to try to justify running those cards, for example. And you know, it's the, the problem is, yeah, they don't do much on their own, 
Right, they don't fit into other decks. Yeah, that's the only deck it's going into is, you know, the crappy Storm deck, and it's not going to work out. Essentially, even if it does end up, unless you're drafting, like, say, a 360-card cube with all eight people, even then, like, it might not work. Because then, like, say you get the Storm deck, somebody mises the, uh, empty the Warrens, like, two seats down from you, or two seats upstream from you, and they notice all this storm going on. It's like, well, I'm just going to hate draft this uh, Empty the Warrens because uh, there's nothing else in here for me. It's yep. not going to work out. Like, there's – you have Linears to have – Linears are so bad in cube. Yeah, like, you have to have so many things go right in order for it to work, and it's not worth it at all. Like, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, like, the flexible support cards. You know, like, Life from the Loam. You know, I did an article on uh, on IrwinsCubeDrafting.com uh, about – and went to, like, a short doctoral thesis on the, the uses for it, like, feeding Massacre, all of them. You can feed Massacre <laughs> like crazy. Yes, yeah, it's like, oh, sure, yum, 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 give me some lands, stuff like that. Or, like, survival fits in anything green. Fauna Shaman fits in anything green. Animate Dead, we cut it from our crack-a-pack, but it fits in almost anything black, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But there's also... Actually, I'm, I don't know. Do you want to go on? I've, I've just been going too long. Well, well no, you're right. And, th- and that's the thing is I think a card has to have value by itself. But I think also, too, I think if you want to specifically support some archetypes, I think you do need to include a few specific archetype cards. The thing is is that even the specific archetype cards fit in other decks. Um, if you want a reanimator to be a theme, you absolutely positively have to have a card like Unis Prowler in your deck. Um, yeah. The thing is, is it's still a three. It's a three-one flyer for two, right? I yeah. mean, it still fits in the beatdown deck. Um, you need to have if you want to support the like the artifact decks. You want Talarian Academy in your cube, but it still fits in the blue control decks as well. I mean, you just have a couple of signets or mana artifacts in play. God, you know, God forbid you have something like Tinker, uh, not Tinker, uh, Treachery, Time Spiral, Palancron. You know, <laughs> then yeah. it, it, you know you just get stupid. You know, from there, or you know, sort of uh, feast and famine. You know, that's another good one <laughs> or two. Wow. You know, there, there's use. There's uses of it in in plenty of other decks. Um, Tinker is a very specific card, but it is so powerful um, and so good. You know, it's another it's essentially another pseudo combo card. I mean, granted, it's not a very difficult combo. Mm, play artifact, sack artifact, go get seven ten. Blow up all your lands. Good luck. Yeah, b- you know. get Battle Sphere. Right. This is get difficult. Battle Sphere. Good luck with your one turn. You yeah. Know. <laughs> get get Sphinx of the Steel Wind. You're green red. Ha ha. Yeah. You know? Lol. Like, you lose. But but I think a card like Entomb, however, is a bit too narrow. So you have to. There's a fine line between there. Um, what other decks? You know, you want Entomb in your Reanimator deck. What other decks do you really want Entomb in? I mean, I could see maybe situations where you'd want to go get deep analysis, or but I just don't feel like if that's worth an enti- spending an entire card. Yeah, like I, I think like you're not going to put it. It depends on how much support you have. Like, for example, a blue black deck, a straight up blue black deck. Like, is it going to run? Uh, maybe not blue black. Like black red, for example, and it has a squee. And Bloodgast. Like, do you really want to run Entomb in that deck to get those two? Right. I I don't know. I mean, 
there can be arguments for it, but I don't know. It could be from personal experience with playing Hidden Tomb, but I, I, I don't, wouldn't want to run it in that deck. Again, I don't know. Maybe six months from now, I'll be laughing at myself, being, "Ha, you're an idiot." But I don't know. Maybe, maybe I am an idiot. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. I kind of called Bonehorn though, so maybe I'm, I'm not a hundred percent idiot. Yeah, I mean, Bonehorn's been, been pretty solid so far for sure. But you know, and I just think you have, to, you have to be careful about making sure that the, the cards you want to run to support specific archetypes need to be good in other situations. Like, yes, we all know, you know. If you look at the Ad Nauseam Tendrils decks, they play cards like Brainstorm and, you know, other searchables like that. But you know what? Those cards are good by themselves no matter what deck they're in. So you you just have to, you know, think about some of the card evaluation stuff we're talking about. Um, A really good example of the uh, combo decks that aren't necessarily combo decks, Um, the Blue Artifact deck most of the time, if, you know, if you get the uh, Metal Worker start, it's more like a... A straight up combo deck, but you know what? Most of the time, it's like a control deck that eventually accrues a bunch of mana and then kills you. Um, if you guys remember Psychotog, Psychotog was literally just a control deck that just went, "Oh, by the way, here's my big turn upheaval." Psychotog, go, go yeah. off. If you look at the, you know, I me- earlier I mentioned the Pyromancer's Ascension decks. All those are guys are control decks with a combo kill. Counter your stuff, counter your stuff, burn your thing, burn your thing. Oh, by the way, here's an ascension. Get it active. Woo! You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Get there. The old wake decks, you know, Morari's wake. And, you know, you basically just played a control deck and played a control deck. And then you cycled at the end of your turn for, you know, 10 2 2 tokens and killed your opponent. Yeah, uh, forget White Sun Zenith. There's yeah. the real deal. Oh my god, there are three, three tokens now with, oh my god. But, you know, those are the kinds of things that finish. Or, you know, I think the recurring Nightmare Survival deck definitely fits super well into a mid-game shell. Um, You know, it's that green-black, you know, good old rock. Nothing beats rock. And then you have, you know, a combo kill on top of them, you know, where you're just basically being degenerate with, okay, I'll sacrifice Wall of Blossoms to get Grave Titan, and then I'm going <laughs> to sacrifice one of these 2-2 tokens to get back Wall of Blossoms to get another card. Jeez. You know, you know, things like that, you know, just all kinds of uh, abusive ways to, to do things. And if you guys look at, if you guys take a look now, go back to that clock, you'll notice, too, that um, very rarely, if ever, does a deck be two things that are not connected. Um, there are decks that, you know, for example, there can be hybrid beatdown mid-range decks. Um, there can be hybrid aggro control beatdown decks. Uh, we just talked about a couple examples of combo control decks and mid-game control decks. But you know what you're not finding? It very rare is the beatdown combo deck. Yeah. Very rare, you know, is the aggro control mid-game deck. You know, that's that's a perfect example of the do-nothing deck. You know, it's like, well, I have all these fours and fives, and, well, I'm dead. So, yeah, it's kind of like the the thing I talked about with the uh, Savannah Lines, Blade of Six Pride, uh, Acroma, Eternal Dragon. Like, they're they're great cards. I mean, sure. I, wouldn't run, I wouldn't run them if they weren't. But, you know, it's like they're they're not going to fit in the same deck. And it's keeping exactly. all the... You're, keeping, not, you're not playing an aggro control, you know, aggro and control deck. I mean, aggro control is its own separate thing, yeah. but your deck is not right. You shouldn't be running one drops and eight drops in the same deck. Yeah, that's not going to work. Very cool. Well, let's, uh, I think we can pretty much, uh, wrap it up from there. 
Um, if you guys have any questions, by all means, drop us a line. Uh, there's the forums uh, on MTGCast. There are uh, our show email address, if you want to yeah, get M- that out. M- MTG, the third power, at gmail.com. And also uh, also my blog, I'd rather be cubing dot wordpress.com uh and you know i'm gonna be posting the crack of packs up there uh like i did for the uh the bonus episode so i'm gonna do this one too just so y'all can vote you know let let you know let us know what you think you would take and uh also plug in the twitter yeah usman the red and anthony you gotta plug uh, it <laughs> uh, yeah you can uh you know you guys should try to convince me i'm uh uh, Anthony42, A-N-T-K-N-E-E-42, over on Twitter, so drop me a line there. Um, you know, the the more you guys talk to me on there, the more maybe I'll be willing to hate Twitter a little bit less. But <laughs> Slow battle. Yeah, it's an uphill battle for sure. So, well, very cool. Well, hopefully you guys uh, learned a little bit something about looking at your cube holistically and, and how it all fits with one another. Um, that it's, you know, it's its own format, just like standard or extended or legacy. And, you know, map, map out your own, uh, metagame wheel. Take a look. I think, uh, I'm going to break out a uh, Photoshop here and maybe, maybe do one of mine and, and post it on the, the next show if I can get my skills up to date. So. Sweet. That'd be awesome. Alrighty. I guess that, uh, that wraps up the show. Yeah. I got one more thing to say. What's that? Rock over London. Rock on, Chicago. Rise of the Eldrazi. Carnage shall follow. See you guys next week.